Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From the Apostrophe Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. David Suzuki is an award-winning journalist, scientist, and most famously, an activist and environmentalist who lives by his father's credo, if you want everybody to like you, you're not going to stand for anything. And he wants a revolution. No, he's not a left-wing radical. He's a father and a grandfather. And he wants his legacy to his children and grandchildren, well, in fact, all our legacies, to be the right ones. The kind of legacy where we didn't destroy the future world at the expense of our children's well-being. The one where we don't leave them to live in a cesspool of choked-out air, putrid water, and gelatinous, plastic-filled oceans. Over the years, I've waxed and waned while listening to David, sometimes inspired, and sometimes wondering if his negativity is perhaps not the right approach, but I know where it comes from. As a realist, I adhere to that approach quite often myself. It doesn't waste time. It cuts to the chase. It sugarcoats nothing. David's angry. He's angry with industry, with politicians, with economists. He's angry with you and me. He's angry with himself. And he has every right to be angry. He's been more than pulling at the thread of the world-encompassing realities of environmental destruction his entire adult life. He's been ripping the sweater apart, And what he's exposed for us all to see over the years has not seemed to have changed our minds. He's not led us back to Eden. He's been giving us the scientific pathway there, and we've ignored it. He's been showing us the yellow brick road, and we took the red one. So now he's pissed. And I love my interviews when the person I'm with is in a bad mood. To set the stage, and remember, these podcasts were recorded before the pandemic. Yet even then, my M.O. was to interview everyone outside. So David and I met at his house and sat down by the ocean in his backyard. You'll hear the planes and dogs and people of Vancouver walking by, David's modest yet inviting little courtyard behind his house. I was in Vancouver to speak, as well as perform, with Bill Henderson of the rock band Chilliwack and Tara Lightfoot at the Riverkeeper Gala event. David would be there to do what he always does rain on the parade grounds of an earth we have all scorched to death. These are the words of David Suzuki. My generation and the ones that followed didn't do our job, and now a child has to do what mom and dad are supposed to do. I feel ashamed, ashamed to be called to action by a child. This is life on earth. This is who we are. 
How'd it come to this? How'd it get this far? But wait a minute. What about the right of air to flow around the planet? What about the right of a river to go where it must? What about the right of a forest to exist as a community of organisms? Who the hell do we think we are that we wanted to find everything in our legal system around us? This is just madness. We let it get this far. Where in your economic equation do you put what is sacred? Something that is sacred is beyond economics or beyond human evaluation. This is my hope, is we don't know enough to say it's too late. Just give me a, a sound check. and I'll... Okay, I'll talk about this level unless I get excited. Did you go on the march? I wanted to go so badly I was going to meet with Bruce, but we didn't land until um, last night at about 9 o'clock. Ah, where'd you come from? I'm shooting a new series called Wild Harvest. It's essentially... Les Stroud, you know, Survivor Man, takes you out into the woods for the first day. I gather about seven or eight wild edibles. I bring them back. I give them to Chef Paul Rogalski from Calgary. And then he makes just a beautiful meal out of them, including domestic ingredients as well. Yeah. The goal of, sorry, I'm long-winded telling you where I came from, but the goal of it is like, just like it was with Survivor Man, the goal of Survivor Man was to get people back out in nature. The goal of Wild Harvest is to say, look, You can do this right around your backyard. You can go out down to this little ravine. You can gather these five things. But then I also get the opportunity to say, if you're going to harvest milkweed, understand it's the only plant that feeds the monarch butterfly. So you need to- eat milkweed? Oh, it's fantastic. You're kidding. All of it. Yeah, he made an amuse-bouche out of it and then a cooked green out of it. And like cattail, it depends on the season. A different part of it becomes edible. Yeah. But again, I like- pointing people, hey, that's great, we can harvest this, but don't just go to the next, the nearest gravel pit and grab all the milkweed sort of thing, you know? (laughs) You've been very prolific in your life. What's keeping you rolling now? And not that you should settle down, but what keeps you going? Well, I mean, I had children, and now I have grandchildren. It's a question that doesn't even occur to me because uh, I, my generation and the boomers that followed partied as if there was no tomorrow. You know, we're celebrating. We came out of the Great Depression, World War II, that was over. And my God, you know, like, look at all the opportunity. And and we never, we forgot that our f- most fundamental role as parents is to look out for the future for our kids. We thought making money and having stuff was what we were going to, uh, uh, was a measure of success and what we were going to leave to our kids. And it's what impels me now. I met Greta Thunberg uh, yesterday 
And I said, I am sorry, you shouldn't be having to do this. My generation and the ones that followed didn't do our job. And now a child has to do what mom and dad are supposed to do. I feel ashamed, ashamed to be called to action by a child. That's not their job. They should be learning and branching out and finding what moves them and, and looking forward to becoming adults. Mom and dad are there to be warriors on their behalf. And I asked Mr. Trudeau after he bought a pipeline. We celebrated when he was elected because it was such a, a change from the nine and a half years of the Harper government where climate and the environment were simply not on his agenda. Trudeau instead went straight to, to Paris signed the agreement with a great flourish and said the Paris Agreement uh, seeks a target of uh, keeping temperature between one and a half and two degrees rise since uh, pre-industrial levels by the end of this century. That's a hard target. I emailed him and said, that's a really tough target. Uh, are you serious? And he emailed back and said, I'm very serious. So we celebrated. We praised him. We said, this is great. Then we bought a pipeline. And I emailed him and I said... Look, why did you run for office? Wasn't it to care for a future for your children? You're in a position now where you're making decisions that are going to ramify through the entire lives of your children, and you made the wrong decision. Why did you run for office? And what about your role as a parent? And his answer was crystal clear. He doesn't answer my emails anymore. Huh. Of course not. So we, uh, you know, so it it. It really hurts me to see him in uh, March yesterday, as I was with 500,000 Montrealers, saying do something about the climate, and he's just politicking and, and saying I'm looking out. This is simply not true. He's forgotten to take the long-term view. He's taking a political view, and the political view is a very short one and one that is not geared to protecting the environment. Just the other day, and this, this really feeds back to you and your impact on my life. Just the other day, I was speaking with somebody, and they were started spewing off the sort of the usual kind of criticizing all the politicians, and he was criticizing Elizabeth May. I've said this so many times now. Look, we. what did you expect her to do show up on horseback and drink out of a birch bark cup we lead lives of conflict i got that line from you and i would love to have you explain it to me better sometimes i say it with power and i know exactly what i mean by it other times i feel like i'm just repeating david suzuki when i say look everybody we lead lives of conflict and i've said it in keynotes help me out with that okay, line so, a little better you know i've had two recent encounters that really illustrate uh, the issue i was filming in montreal doing a program on aging. And we had wrapped for the day, and we were, the crew and I were sitting in a restaurant. It was quite crowded, and uh, a guy came up. We didn't invite him. He just came up, slid into the seat beside me, and he said, I'm, I've got an engineering degree from M MIT, and I have to tell you that you are the biggest fraud in this country. Everything you say about climate change is bullshit. So we're at that level now where one uh, where you don't get the the acceptance of what the science is. My answer to that is always what scientific journals are you getting your information from? I'm not a climatologist, but I read what the leading scientists in climatology are telling me. So I said in the most elegant way, listen, fuck off. That's my response to that. But then uh, I landed in Calgary, and I was waiting for my baggage at the uh, carousel, 
And this guy came up again, very friendly, said, hi, you're David Suzuki. I said, and he just got right up to me and he said, you know, you are the biggest hoax. You are a hypocrite. How did you get here? Did you fly in a, in a solar-powered plane? Because if not, you're a fucking hypocrite. And my response to that is, look, we have to, we're in transition now. We're not living the way we're going to have to live. Right now, there is no infrastructure that allows us to travel quickly and efficiently and uh, over long distances that doesn't involve the use of fossil fuels. We're in a time of transition and we can't. You know, I have flown all over the bloody place to, to film and to, to give talks. Right now, the most important thing is to share the message as far as we can and get people to start working on that transition. But because we ha have to use the technology that we know can't be continued on in the future, doesn't make us hypocrites. We've got nothing to do that. Now, if you just fly here and there willy-nilly for nothing, uh, then you have to really ask yourself, can I justify this? In the last uh, month, I turned down all expense paid trips to, to speak in Australia, New Zealand, Tahiti and Venice. Each one, my wife is looking at me and going, oh, I'd really like to go there. And I'm saying, Tara, I, I can't justify it. I offered to speak at all of these venues by video conference. But we can't just keep acting as if we've got to be in the same room with other people. And we're all guilty of this. The scientific community now has these massive meetings to exchange ideas. And they, they draw people from all over the planet. We can't continue to do it that way. Here is where the technology offers us an alternative where we can continue to communicate. We've got in, in our foundation, we've got three offices and we have a complete teleconference set up that was given to us by Cisco. And we have a, a staff meeting every week for an hour. We talk to Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver offices. And the illusion is almost perfect. It's as if we're all in one room talking to each other. So here's a case where I have to say the technology uh, really does get us to do the right thing and allow us to carry on as we need. But we're in transition. And I don't take the uh, accusation of hypocrisy. I don't take that seriously. It's just, of course, we're all aware of this transition period. And we have to do things that we can do indefinitely. And again, we end up leading these lives of conflict. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, look, I mean, the technology sitting in front of us with these microphones, the camera that I use to film a show about nature is a hell of a carbon footprint. Yeah. And you can't say it's not wonderful, loving hippies that I know back to the landers. And yet, you know, I can yeah. look at their, their, their Gregory backpacks and their high tech tents and go, where did you think that came from? And yet, dressed in earth tones, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the portrayal yeah. is there. Yeah. I watched the Greta clip the other day. I, I... This is life on earth. This is who we are. How'd it come to this? How'd it get this far? Look around you now There's no more wild and free 
This is our last chance To make the bastards see If we pick up arms And draw our swords On those who rape the earth We can win this war Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. I watched the Greta clip the other day. I, I, Which one? <laughs> uh, the teary one. The, 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 the You should be ashamed. Yeah. And, and, and my God, that was powerful. I was fearful when she was first getting all this notoriety that is this going to turn quaint? Is this going to be the quaint little girl with the lovely message? And then you know how people can take that and make it quaintify it. Oh, well, if you look at the, uh, the trolls, it's uh, so ugly, I can't believe it. But this is something that people who are speaking out on issues like this always encounter. Jason Kenney, the premier of Alberta, has set up a war room. Now, I agree. I think we need war rooms. The battle is over climate. His guns are aimed the wrong way. He wants to get at what he thinks are foreign-funded radicals or extremists. He wants to get at those people like the Suzuki Foundation and David Suzuki, who he says uh, hate Alberta, which is absolutely ludicrous. But all of these attempts are to get us onto a different tack so they don't confront the reality. We have a climate emergency. Even our parliament has passed, not a law, but they, they passed the statement that Canada is in a climate emergency. So then let's stop these distractions that these environmentalists are trying to shut down Alberta's economy and uh, we've got to use oil. We've got to get onto the target that was set for us by science. And this is Greta's message over and over again. Don't listen to me, she says. Listen to the scientists. That's what you're not doing. And that's what gives her message such power. This is not about Greta. She's simply saying, the science says, we kids don't have a future the way we're going. And if that doesn't cut you to your heart, then I, you are really a messed up human being. My struggle is often with the regular, we'll call it the regular Joe, the average person, uh, the soccer mom, the soccer dad, the people that I might interact with. And I'm going to come back to this idea of quaintness. We're going to be doing the Riverkeeper Gala and, and meeting, and I'll eventually you know, perform, and I've got a 60 seconds to say something. And one of my points is, is, look, don't think that by hanging up the towel in the hotel room or refusing the plastic bag at Safeway is, is you doing your part for the environment. I'd love to get your reaction on that, that, that the chasm between... Well, I just, you know, uh, no, we don't have single-use plastic in our house anymore. Between that and what really has to be done. I, the, the scale of it is absolutely staggering. The people I meet want to do something, but they always ask, what's the most important, what's the critical thing that I could do? There is no magic bullet. It's about the way that we're living and the scale of it when there are 7 billion people. You know, I was astounded that that one image of a straw in the nose of a turtle led to this incredible reaction to get rid of straws, plastic straws. And, and, you know, that was wonderful, but don't think this is dealing with the problem of, of plastics in the ocean. Like, give me a break. You know, we've got to get more at the fundamental understanding, you know, at the level of, of what is causing us to live this way. And I think, if you can bear with me, I think the problem is this. We act through lenses that are shaped 
by gender, religion, ethnicity, socioeconomic class. What we believe and the values we hold affect the way we act. And you can simply show this by taking a, a street person, take someone who is just fired after working at a job for 20 years, and a currency speculator, and ask each of them to give their comment about the economy, about welfare, about the Dow Jones average. And you will get such radically different answers that, you know, you'd think these people came from a different planet. We see the world through uh, the beliefs and values we hold. Ask a woman and a man about love and family and sex. Again, you wonder that we ever get together because our views are so radically different. Well, if you look at the history of our species, all of the studies with DNA that trace the movement of humans over time lead back to Africa 150,000 years ago. So we were born on the plains of Africa. And for 95% of our existence, we were nomadic hunter-gatherers. We had to do what survivor man is trying to show us what to do. And we had to carry everything on our backs following plants and game through the seasons. When you're a nomadic hunter-gatherer, you knew, know very well. We are a part of a vast network of other species of air, water, and soil. You know that you're utterly dependent on the natural world for your survival. And that is what we call an ecocentric worldview. You understand you're a part of this bigger system. When 10,000 years ago, the last 5% of human existence, we began a, a really radical shift in the way that we live. And that was with the discovery of agriculture. But even with agriculture, you know, right up to 1900, if you look at a map of Canada, the prairies were dotted with villages. These are towns, villages of 100, 150, 200 people, and they were relatively self-sufficient. I mean, they would have a butcher shop and even a, a movie theater and a church, and like they were little, they were serviced by the agricultural community that would come in every Saturday night. And so even by 1900, most people were living in rural village communities because we were farmers. Now, when you settle down, you can build permanent structures, you can have, begin to have it develop villages and, you know, change the course of civilization. But if you're a farmer, you know damn well that weather, climate, the uh, seasons are going to affect... The, the, the animal life, uh, yeah. the insect life. Yes, that you know that pollination is absolutely critical. You know that you can get fertilizer from, from nitrogen-fixing plants. You know in Canada, we know the amount of snow in the winter is related to moisture in the soil in the summer. When you're a farmer, you know damn well that you depend on the natural world. As long as we were farmers, we remained ecocentric in the sense of understanding. The big changes, I think, that began were about 500 years ago when Europeans discovered ways of sailing over vast distances and returning back home. So now we could go on these voyages of exploration. And so as Europeans began to discover, they thought they discovered new lands, they were filled with indigenous people who'd been there for thousands of years. But they were after what was in the land. They were after resources so that they could find resources, gold and trees and whatever, and take them back to the old country and, and get rich. So that began a way of looking at the world as simply opportunities. You know, you just have to find ways of digging them out or cutting them down. The indigenous people were a pain in the ass. 
they had a radically different way of seeing their relationship to the land. The land was sacred. Uh, it was the, their culture depended on, on that land. They were deeply embedded in the land. And up to this present time, the indigenous people are a pain in the ass. We've got to get them out so that we can get out what they've got. And then you start uh, with the Industrial Revolution. You begin to, to create machines that extend us way beyond our biological limits. So we could make telescopes and see to the edge of the universe. We could make microscopes and, and discover a world of life in a drop of water. We could invent machines that would work 24 hours a day and don't need a pee break or to eat a meal. Uh, we could have uh, machines that go faster than any life form on the planet. And so out of that inventiveness, it becomes very easy to think, well, we're not, we're different. We're so smart. Our intelligence enables us to escape beyond the bounds that constrain species. We are everything. So this, we've shifted in the last few centuries to what is called an anthropocentric worldview. We're at the center. It's all about us. And everything out there is an opportunity. And even environmentalism is, well, we got to be more careful because if we don't treat the, the environment properly, it's going to boomerang and affect us. It's all about us. The result of anthropocentrism is deeply embedded in our societies. The law is built around the whole notion that it's all about us. So it's about we have to build in property uh, rights and human rights. But wait a minute. What about the right of air to flow around the planet? What about the right of a river to go where it must? What about the right of a forest to exist as a community of organisms? Or the right of a songbird to live its life as it evolved to live? Who the hell do we think we are that we wanted to find everything in our legal system around us? This is just madness. And then you look at our economic system. The economy is, is based on the same word as ecology. Ecos is the Greek word for household or domain. Ecology is the study of our home. Ecologists try to find what are the underlying principles that enable a species to survive over long periods of time. Not a bad bit of information to have. Economics, ecos, is the management of our home. Now, any intelligent person would say, uh, before we start managing our home, we better find out what those ecologists are saying, because whatever we do, we've got to live within the boundaries of nature. We've had nine and a half years of a Harper government in which he said, we can't deal with uh, climate change. That's crazy economics. He said, if we try to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, it will destroy the economy. So by that, he's simply elevating the economy above the atmosphere that gives us air to breathe, that gives us weather, climate, and the seasons. And then we build this economy on what? We create an economic system that is based on the creed of cancer. Cancer cells think they can grow forever. And so we build an economy in which we believe it can grow forever, which it cannot, and that the very definition of economic progress is by growth. So they're saying that they believe what cancer cells believe, and the end result will be the same. And when you ask, you know, as I have when I've confronted CEOs fighting for forests, I remember when we were fighting for the Stein Valley, British Columbia had given a logging permit to Fletcher Challenge, a New Zealand company. I, I encountered the CEO. He said to me, 
Are tree huggers like you willing to pay for those trees? Because if you're not willing to pay for it, they don't have any value until someone cuts them down. And, you know, so we as environmentalists, we have to run around. You know, he's telling me I can, there's this many board feet of lumber, this many cubic meters of, of pulp, this many jobs, this much profit. And I'm running around going, well, maybe uh, we could pick berries in the spring and uh, maybe cut a few salal bushes for flower arrangement. But the real reason we're fighting for the forest is all of those trees and other green things are taking carbon out of the air and putting oxygen back. Not a bad service for an animal like us. You know, oxygen is a very reactive element. If oxygen's released, it immediately rusts or oxidizes things and disappears. Before there were any plants on the planet, there was no oxygen in the air. And to this very day, it's all of the green things in the ocean and on land that keep the oxygen at, up at 18 to 19% of the air. Without them, there would be no oxygen. You know what economists call that? An externality. Uh, the economy is based on human inventiveness, human productivity, uh, human invention. This is, it's all human oriented. And what nature does, what we call ecosystem services, are dismissed as collateral damage. You know, you cut the forest down, well, gee, that's too bad, but the economy is the most important thing, and that's an externality anyway. It's, and you, you get back to the whole quaintness of it. Oh, yeah. well, it's quaint. isn't that forest view quaint? And the aesthetic it, value of, of, of wilderness, of nature, oh, don't even talk doesn't to even us count. About aesthetics. I said, look, I joined the, the battle against you, Mr. CEO, because the Nalakapamuks people asked me to because the valley is sacred. Where in your economic equation do you put what is sacred? Something that is sacred is beyond economics or beyond human evaluation.
to know you are living. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. We set up a political system to manage human affairs. Now, we have a minister of the environment. We have a minister of forests. We have a minister of fisheries and oceans, a minister of agriculture. Do you think the highest priority of those ministers is protecting the environment, protecting fish or the oceans or forests? or the soil? Hell no! It's all about protecting the people that want to exploit them. The protection of those things is certainly not their highest priority because their very existence as politicians depends on people voting for them. The forest can't vote. The fish can't vote. They have no ability to influence these people. But because we think we're at the center of the action, we don't give a shit what happens to them. It's about the people that want to use those fish or those trees. Thanks for surviving life with me, everybody. I'm Les Stroud, and stay tuned for part two of my interview with David Suzuki. We've been mixed in a big old technical mixing bowl by Master Chef Keith Ullman, and we're a member of the Apostrophe Podcast Network, which is secretly led by a dead hockey player. Stick around, everybody. We'll figure this out. Oh, hey, wait a second. Sorry. One more thing. Totally forgot. This is my moment of shameless self-promotion. But if you are not yet watching my brand new series, Les Stroud's Wild Harvest, well, you need to. It's all about local foraging. And then I'll go out and I'll show you a number of plants and I'll bring them back into a kitchen or a cookery outdoors or somewhere where Chef Paul Rogalski will turn them into an incredible meal. You got to see this show, Les Stroud's Wild Harvest. It's airing now on a public television station near you. And if the public television station near you is not airing it, then email them, phone them, show up on their doors, blackmail them, do whatever you have to do to get Les Stroud's Wild Harvest on their station so that you can watch it. The second part of the self-promotion is for this channel, if you're watching this, and if you're not, this channel is the YouTube channel, Survivor Man Dash Les Stroud. I have a ton of stuff on there. I really got on the game for YouTube about six or eight months ago, and I have been populating it with all kinds of material. New stuff, archive stuff, all kinds of information from how-tos to Survivor Man episodes to Survivor Man Bigfoot to director's commentary. So check out my YouTube channel, Survivor Man Dash Les Stroud, because I am keeping it really, really active. So brand new series, Les Stroud's Wild Harvest. Don't forget my YouTube channel. And lastly, 
we are going back into the uh, the printers and by popular request, releasing again my 20th anniversary film collection. 76 films, every film I have made over the past 20, actually 25 years, to be honest with you, about 20 years. And it's available through the website, lestroud.ca. All right. Um, okay. I guess that's it. Thanks a lot for listening. And uh, I don't know, go pour yourself a coffee and go listen to some more of my podcasts, if you so choose. Thanks, guys. When it comes to clothes, having pieces that you can wear anywhere is a must. That's why American Giant makes clothing that fits your life seamlessly, with quality you have to feel to believe. Whether you're stocking up for any weather or picking up a special gift, you'll find an impressive selection of staples to choose from. So whether you're on the hunt for a heavyweight hoodie, a fleece jacket, or a hardworking pair of warm sweatpants, American Giant has what you're looking for. Each American Giant piece is designed to last and created with commitment to doing things better. And all their products are made right here in America. Because keeping things local ensures the kind of quality you'll feel and appreciate for years to come. Discover the American Giant difference today. Shop Wear Anywhere Closet Staples at American-Giant.com. And get 20% off your order when you use code ANYSTYLE24 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com. Promo code ANYSTYLE24.